0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you've never been with us on an Application Sunday, uh, things do function a little bit differently in that um, we have what you already enjoyed an extended time of fellowship with breakfast provided. And then our time in the Word is different in that. We look back over the past several weeks and kind of review things that we've been learning, and then we have some direct application for things that we want to do going forward. So uh, we don't bring new content today. We instead bring content that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, remind you of that, and then we look towards ways that we can apply it going forward so that we're doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so We're looking back over the last uh, three sermons in Exodus. We had a sermon by Tyson and a sermon by Marcus thrown in there as well. Encourage you to go back and re-listen to those if you didn't get a chance to. I know we had some sporadic attendance there at the beginning of June with a lot of vacations taking place. And so you may have missed one of those sermons. Encourage you to go back and listen to those as they drew our attention to the New Testament, particularly how the book of Exodus feeds into the New Testament and reinforces uh, what we're learning in the New Testament today we're going to look back just at those three sermons from Exodus. Uh, starting in Exodus chapter 15, we looked at the crossing of the Red Sea, particularly though the results of that in the ways that the children of Israel worshipped after that, right? So there's this crossing of the Red Sea that takes place, and then um, the, the children of Israel begin to express their gratitude to God in response to that. So several weeks ago, we looked at how God puts us in impossible situations, so we're forced to look to the only one who can possibly make a way, so that when a path is finally created, our initial panic is moved to ongoing praise because of his unrivaled power. He puts us in impossible situations. Prior to this, we had talked about the children of Israel fleeing Egypt, but God puts them in a position where The Red Sea's on one side, the desert's on the other, and the pursuing army of Egypt is closing in. There's nowhere for them to go, right? And it looks like God has put them in a trap and is going to abandon them. And that's certainly how the children of Israel begin to respond as they cry out and grumble and complain and doubt God's direction and provision in their life. It's an impossible situation. What it does is it forces them to look to the only one who can possibly make a way of escape for them. Um, God directs Moses to challenge the people to see and to believe that he is going to provide. And um, when they step into that dry land experience, as they cross the Red Sea and they come across and they see the waves come crashing down on the Egyptians, it leads them to praise. It leads them to praise and worship for what he has done. We talked this week about how singing is what we're supposed to do as Christians, It's something that we're mandated to do. It's something that we're commanded to do. Um, That good songs help us recount and remember God's saving work in history. And when you think about that, like a lot of times, like we, we probably devalue in some ways the singing time at church and maybe put all the emphasis on the teaching time. And certainly the teaching of God's word is why we gather together. But the singing time is not time to just extend our worship service so that we uh, give you a longer time period to be here since you got up and got ready and drove here in the morning time. It's not filler time. Um, and maybe that would be the case at some churches. I can tell you it's not the case here. Like I can tell you that, that Tyson and our worship team work very hard in the selection of the songs that they choose because it's theology that they're giving to you, um, it's theology that you get to participate in as you sing and reflect and meditate. Um, it, it's, not a, it's not a time to go to the bathroom. It's not a time to, to talk and discuss and catch up, right? Like we don't, we, we don't want to dismiss our singing time as though it's less valuable. Um, it, it's an opportunity for us to reflect on the truths of Scripture. Um, the songs that we sing are rooted in Scripture. And so while it may not be a direct quotation from God's Word, It's certainly flowing from our understanding of God's Word. And it's that theology that oftentimes we're uh, we're quicker to remember during the week than maybe a Bible verse that we heard on a Sunday. That that catchy tune and the the lyrics that, that are put together in a memorable way are things that we can draw upon and listen to and be reminded of. Good songs help us recount and remember God's saving work in history. For our kids this week at Snowbird, Um, One of the songs that they had the chance to sing and one of the songs that was taking place at the worship service that our family attended is a song by Phil Wickham called Worthy of My Song. Worthy of My Song by Phil Wickham. Here's the beginning lyrics to that song, and I think it ties in directly with some of the things that we've been talking about over the past several weeks here. It says, I'm going to sing till my heart starts changing. Oh, I'm going to worship till I mean every word. Because the way I feel and the fear I'm facing doesn't change who you are or what you deserve. What's the idea there in that song? The idea is that I'm going to sing truth to my heart, particularly when my heart doesn't feel that way. Right? Like when my heart doesn't acknowledge what is true, I'm going to sing to my heart to get it back aligned with where it should be. Um, and that's what we've been talking about, that the singing piece of being a Christian, the reasons that we sing on a Sunday morning, and, and maybe it feels awkward at times because you're, you're not one that would call yourself a good singer. Um, the singing time is meant to speak to our heart. It's meant to align our heart to God's word and God's truth. And, and even when, it, when we don't feel that way, when we don't acknowledge what we should be acknowledging, God can use the lyrics of songs to remind us, to recount who God is when we're having seasons of doubt. Um, we talked about singing to be aware that God is working to remember what the situation was before and to recognize what God has done in the midst of it. That's what the song in Exodus chapter 15 talks about, right? It says, then Moses and the people of Israel, reading from verse one, sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. The song goes on to continue in verses 4 and following. It recounts who they were fearful of. They were fearful of Pharaoh. They were fearful of the Egyptian army, and God vanquished that. God destroyed it. God conquered it. This is what the situation was like before God intervened. And this is what the situation is now that God has intervened. We seem to acknowledge that, that we're aware of it. We seem to acknowledge that it is God working, that he is the one who has been faithful to act. That's the common theme in Scripture. Our students got to see that once again in the book of Genesis with the story of Joseph this week. That that theme of God's faithfulness to act for his people. That's the common theme that runs through Scripture right? Jesus being the ultimate act by God for his people, that God sends Jesus on behalf of his people to make sure that we can be reconciled to him. It's Jesus dying on the cross, his blood being shed, his good works being accomplished, that allows us to have relationship with him. That's the ultimate act of God's faithfulness. But all along the way, we see these these smaller acts of faithfulness where he's constantly providing for his people, constantly pointing them to trust in him. And we sing about that for our own life, because God's doing that for us daily too. He's working and moving and acting on our behalf, and we can sing to acknowledge that when we come together. And then lastly, we sing in anticipation that God will continue working, that He's for us no matter what, and He will keep fighting for us. Because at the end of this section, this, this song that they sing, they're singing about what God is going to do. It says in verse 17, you will bring them, talking about his people, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. They're looking to the future of what God's promised to do. You're going to bring us to the promised land. You're going to establish us there. These are things you've promised to do, and we sing in anticipation of you doing those things that you have promised. We do the same thing as well when we come together and sing application from that week. We talked about whenever God does something great, he deserves to be praised. So acknowledge him well, lest you forget. We've already seen, and we'll get into this now, that right after this, three days later, they forget about God's provision and they start grumbling and complaining about, about water and not having water to sustain themselves. Right? They need to be able to sing and to remind themselves that God always provides for his people. Number two, we talked about turning our sighing to singing. By increasing the theology of your songs to help mature your feelings when all seems lost, to have songs that you can go to, to listen to, to speak to your heart, particularly when you're prone to grumble and complain about your circumstances, those songs will remind you God's in control, God provides for His people. And then, lastly, we talked about how churches are oftentimes known for their music, right? Like. People come and visit churches, and one of, the, one of the things that they're looking for initially is, what type of music does this church have? What type of music does this church play? Do I like the songs, right? A lot of churches are known for their music. We talked about being a church that's known for its singing, that we want to be a place when people come and visit, they experience a group of people who sing, sing from their heart, sing to acknowledge the work that God's doing in their life, to where it may not be somebody's music of choice but they can leave our church, walk away saying, man, that church sings. That church is certainly in tune with what God's doing, and they're ready to acknowledge that. The next week we talked about from bitter to better in Exodus 15, the idea of the bitter water that God turns to sweet water. He takes a bitter circumstance and makes it better for them. We talked about once we cross from death to life, the Lord puts us on a journey of sanctification that involves us learning to trust His provision more and more, particularly in the ways he works to heal our bitter circumstances by making them sweet. He heals those circumstances. He makes them sweet. We talked about how God led them three days after the Red Sea experience into a situation where the water was going to be bitter for them. Remember, we talked about how this oasis that they end up in at the end of chapter 15— was always there. God doesn't create it after the fact. It was present. God could have led them directly there, but instead he leads them to the bitter water first. He leads them to the bitter water first, and it's for a reason. It's for their sanctification. It's to increase their trust in his provision more and more. For us today, right, daily provision is going to always be a a potential threat for us. Food and water will always be a need, and it will always be a potential threat whoever the the, the main provider in your family is, that person is always going to think in terms of how do I continue to provide food, water, and shelter for my family, right? And and, and that's always going to be a threat to us. It's always going to be a point of anxiety potentially, but it's also something that as a Christian, we can see it's giving God regular opportunities to provide for us when we need him most, right? We need these things regularly, food and water, We need these things, and God is regularly providing those things. Even if we don't give him the credit, even the unbeliever who receives those things ultimately gets those things from God, right? The Bible says that his common grace falls on both the believer and the unbeliever, right? God doesn't just allow it to rain on the Christian farmer's crops. He allows it to rain on all the crops, right? So God's always providing food and water both for believer and unbeliever for the Christian, We see it as an opportunity for God to regularly provide for us and to give him the acknowledgement for it. We talked this week about how this big Red Sea experience where they had this massive threat of Egypt killing them in the desert and then God allows them to escape that. And then it's three days later that another big bad situation hits. They don't have any water and they're on the verge of dying of thirst. We talked about as Christians, we're not exempt from bad things happening one right after another right? We're promised trials and tribulations as believers, and, and once we come through a trial or a tribulation, sometimes we feel like we're due some time off, some time of rest, because we just had this, this difficult time, and then boom, another thing happens, and then another thing happens, and it feels like sometimes it's just stacking up on top of each other. We talked about how past victories don't exempt us from present temptations, that oftentimes hard times hit after we experience mountaintop highs with God. Man, it's, it's pretty common for, for, for youth that come back from camp, who come off this high experience of being with God and being removed from the distractions of this world, to have very difficult weeks when they come back. So I would encourage our church to be praying for our youth, as we did faithfully leading up to Snowbird, as we did while they were at Snowbird, to be praying for our youth and our youth workers coming out of Snowbird, right? Like, if it was up to us, Alex and and Jeremy and Rachel would have smooth sailing for a few weeks because they just gave up time and energy to be with our youth. That's not typically how God works, though. It's typically that God brings us into difficult situations after high-top experiences so that we'll learn to trust Him more and more. We're not exempt from, from bad things happening to us, and yet we're oftentimes prone to grumble and not trust Him. We talked about how the Lord's presence is enough to protect and provide us, that we don't have to worry about daily provisions because of the value given to us by God. The New Testament speaks to this, right? Like in the New Testament, the disciples are still kind of in that mindset of worrying about food and water and where does our shelter come from? And and God says, look, I provide those things for the birds. I provide those things for the lilies of the field. I'm certainly going to provide those for you as my children who are far more valuable. Children of Israel are in the desert, they need water, and they're crying out to God after three days saying, you're not going to provide it for us. We're going to die here. Our youth, again, had the privilege of hearing about God's provision for his people in Genesis when, while they were much smaller, right, the children of Israel just being Jacob and his, and his kids at the time, they found themselves in the midst of a famine too, where they needed provision, and while they don't realize it, God has gone before them. He's put Joseph in a position to provide for his people. Joseph, all the while, our kids learned about this this week, all the while he's wondering, where is God in all of this, right? Like, I've been abandoned by my brothers. I'm stuck in Egypt. I'm forgotten in jail. Even when he interprets the dream, uh, the, the, the cupbearer goes and forgets to, tell, forgets to tell. And so he's just kind of stuck down there. And he's wondering, like, what is God doing in all this? Well, God raises him to power. God raises him to a position to provide for his people so they can escape famine. God has always shown that he will work supernaturally to provide for his people. We need to remember that ourselves today. We recognize that bitter circumstances are intentional and purposeful. We talked about how if we're striving to be obediently following the Lord, when we hit bitter circumstances, we can trust they're meant for good. We said the cloud of, of the pillar of cloud and the cloud of fire led the people to the bitter water. They're being obedient. They're following that, that lead. They're following that guide. They come to bitter water. There's sometimes when we come to bitter water and it's of our own doing. It's by, by poor choices and decisions that we make, sinful uh, pursuits that we go after. But we can trust and know that, man, if we've been trying to be obedient to God and we still find ourselves at bitter water, this was intentional. This was purposeful. God has a reason for it. And most likely he's testing us. How will we respond when we need God? Will we cry out to him and trust, or will we whine to him with our complaints? We see what the children of Israel do. They, they whine with their complaints. And God has to step in and fix the situation, even though they haven't trusted him. We talked about believing that sweeter outcomes are promised to those who do trust the Lord. He says, I want you to listen, I want you to trust. These are basic lessons of growing up in spiritual maturity. Same lessons that we have to learn. To listen to his voice, to experience him as the healer. Remember, he identifies himself as the healer at the end of chapter 15. It says that... Verse 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. He, he wants to be identified as the healer, right? Which implies that they will encounter situations and we will encounter situations that necessitate trusting him to make the situation right. We're going to be put in situations where we need a great healer. And God says, I will come, come through and be the great healer for you. The idea as we kind of process through this is that we need to stop questioning if God will provide and instead spend our time wondering, how is he going to provide? And we wait patiently for him to do it. So as application from two weeks ago, we talked about embracing the reality that circumstances will keep coming in your life That necessitate you trust Him rather than complain. And then number two, to trust that bitter circumstances can be surrendered to Him who heals by restoring and refreshing His children with sweetness. And then last week we looked at manna, bread from heaven, from Exodus chapter 16. God provides water. Now He needs to provide food for them. And yet once again, they aren't trusting Him for it. They say in verse 2, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We talked about our pattern of rejoicing always without complaining is to be fundamental, not circumstantial, as the Lord's faithful past provides hope to sustain our present belief that he's working to provide for our needs today and beyond. We talked about how the children of Israel give us a great profile of what it looks like to be a complainer right? What do complainers do? What do grumblers do? Well, they oftentimes make their current situation worse than it really is. How do they do that? Well, they they claim that they're starving to death. Well, the passage very clearly tells us it's only been 45 days since they left Egypt. And we said, unless their last meal had been that Passover meal the night before they leave, they aren't on the verge of starvation. They most likely took provisions, have eaten those provisions, maybe they're getting close to 30 days, but we said people today fast for 30 days. You don't even have to be a believer to do that. There's people who fast for dietary reasons for that long. So they're not on the verge of starvation, even though they paint that picture. But that's what we do when we complain too. And I told you like, I'm a complainer and God's still working on me in this area. And I find that when I'm willing to admit that I'm complaining, I also have to admit that I've made the situation worse than it really is. I'm complaining and exaggerating the situation to be worse than it really is. I'm also exaggerating that a previous situation or an alternate situation is better than it really would be, right? They talk about, man, we wish we could go back to Egypt where we were just stuffed and full and, and seemingly life was great. And yet that's the situation they were begging to get out of, right? They're crying out to God, this is awful. We work and we're being harshly treated by Pharaoh and, and we're, we're not willing to stay in this situation any longer, but we do that too. We exaggerate previous situations or alternate situations as being better than what they really are. And then they direct their concerns to individuals who don't care, who can't do anything about it, all right? They, they, they direct their, their concerns to people who can't fix it. They're grumbling and complaining to Moses and to Aaron as though Moses and Aaron are responsible for it. And oftentimes we'll do that too. We'll complain and grumble to people who can't fix the situation. God's the only one who can step in here and do something about it. The profile of a praiser, not a complainer, is one who relies on him for their daily needs, relies on him for your ongoing needs, and remembers him for your future needs. And that's what's taught through that lesson of manna, right? God's going to bring them manna every morning outside their doorstep, but they're going to have to get up early to get it before the sun melts it. So it's still going to create an attitude of of, of hard work and labor. Got to get up early to do it. It's going to melt away by the middle of the day, and it's, it's not going to be useful the next day. So you can't overstore it and then take a day off the next day, right? Like you got to trust God's provision every single day. And yet there is going to be that Sabbath day where you're supposed to give that day to the Lord, right? And, and not work on that day and trust that the labor previously will be enough to sustain. And so they're supposed to collect twice as much on Friday so they can enjoy that Sabbath rest on Saturday, All of that meant to teach them trust in God's provision. Same lessons that we have to learn today too, that we trust God for daily provision. We trust him enough that we can take time off because we have limitations. We're not God ourselves. We need time of rest. We need to rest at night. We need to rest periodically on the weekend as well so that we can can recuperate because God's designed us that way. He's the one that doesn't slumber or sleep because we need to have sleep, right? And he teaches them that in the ways that he provides the manna. Once again, calling them to trust Him. We said application-wise, every aspect of life, including my eating, is to be governed by God's Word with me seeking obedience to it. Every true need I have is met not in earthly provisions, but in Jesus who meets my greatest needs by saving me. I challenge you to read John chapter 6 if you haven't had a chance to do so. Let me encourage you to do it once again. John chapter 6, Jesus identifies Himself as the true manna right? So we're reading Old Testament manna context here, but in John chapter 6, right after he feeds the 5,000, right, the people come back saying, like, give us more miracles, give us more food, and, and Jesus directs their attention to him and his provision. He says, look, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that can meet your needs. I'm the one that can satisfy. He does the same thing with the woman at the well when she's talking about water and needing to continue to drink. He says, I'm the living water right? I'm the one that can create a scenario where you don't thirst anymore. And he's not talking about the physical thirst. He's talking about the spiritual thirst, right? Every true need that we have is met in Jesus. Exodus chapter 16 gives us that picture of the manna, gives us that picture of the provision. And it closes in chapter 16, reminding them to take some of it and to put it and to set it aside in the Ark of the Covenant, which is to come, but they're going to set it aside. Eventually, it ends up in the Ark of the Covenant. And that manna is to be a visual reminder going forward of God's provision so that when they find themselves in new scenarios and new situations where they need God's provision, they're reminded that God has provided in the past. He's going to provide once again as our application for today, as we always do, I want to give you some things to remember and some things to do. Things to remember and things to do. So I chose one thing to remember from each sermon and one thing to do from each sermon. I want to challenge you to write these down or to take a picture of them to be able to refer back to them uh, throughout this week and going forward. Again, the goal of today, the goal of every application Sunday is to create a culture where we're seeking to be doers and not hearers only things that we want to remember, because Scripture talks a lot about how important it is to remember what we've been taught. What do we want to remember? Number one, singing God's praises is an important way for me to keep my heart remembering that He is always faithful to provide for His people. Singing God's praises is an important way for me to keep my heart remembering that He's always faithful to provide for His people. It's hard to complain if we're in God's word and meditating on God's word regularly. It's it's hard to. It's not impossible. Right? We saw that the children of Israel saw the Red Sea split and then 3 days later they're complaining. Right? So 3 days after one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament, they're complaining about whether God can give them water or not. It's not impossible, but it's hard if we're regularly daily reflecting on scripture, reading scripture, listening to scripture, listening and spending time with with people or songs or other opportunities that point us to scripture. It's hard to complain well if you're focusing on God's word, because all of those things together point us to trusting him. Singing God's praises is an important way to keep our hearts remembering that he's always faithful to provide for his people. Number two, hard times will keep coming up until Jesus returns, but God always uses the hard times to grow me and my trust for him. We got to quit being surprised by hard times because then it's a setback for us when hard times hit. If we're anticipating hard times, it doesn't have to be a setback. Hard times will keep coming up until Jesus returns. So there is a point in time where they stop coming. So we can look forward to that, right? It's not just this indefinite, like, hard times will always be. No, they'll always be until Jesus comes back. So there is hope of this ending. But until then... Hard times will keep coming, but God always uses the hard times to grow us in our trust for him. And then lastly, number three, if I'm complaining, then I am likely exaggerating my predicament and not focusing on how he can use my predicament for his glory. If we're complaining, we ought to pause and stop for a minute and say we're probably exaggerating the situation. We've probably made it bigger than it really is. And we've also stopped focusing on how God can use it for his glory. If I'm complaining, I'm likely exaggerating my predicament and not focusing on how he can use my predicament for his glory. Three things to remember here. Three things for us to do that tie in with what we're to remember. Number one, come ready to obey by singing on Sundays, and look for ways to sing during the week, too, to help you remember him always. I told you, like, uh, one of the reasons we came, one of the ways we ended up in Exodus is we were in Ephesians talking about our need to sing to each other, to encourage one another, to, 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 to use the truths of Scripture that are oftentimes found in song to encourage one another. It ought to be encouraging to step into a room where other believers, men and women, are singing from their hearts. I've experienced this when I've been in settings where it feels like there is no concern about whether you're a good singer or not, and all you can hear are the voices of believers singing loudly. It has kind of an effect on you where you're like, hey, I can do that too. And in the midst of that, the the lyrics and the theology that's found in the song begin to speak to your heart as it's designed to. We want to be a place like that. We want to be a place where people step into our environment and can hear us singing from our hearts as a means of encouragement. One of the ways you do that is you can prep your heart for Sundays. Most of you can, can figure out where we're going to be week in, week out in the sermon series, right? We're going through Exodus. We're going through it virtually verse by verse. Newsflash will be in Exodus chapter 17 next week. So you can read ahead. You can be listening to to God's word as you're driving. You can be studying ahead. You can open your heart, prepare for what you're going to hear in the sermon so that you can even come in ready to sing about what you've already learned from that chapter in anticipation of what what else is to come. Singing God's praises is an important way to keep remembering. So what do we do? We come ready to sing. We come ready to sing, and we ought to be the type of people who are singing throughout the week. As we point ourselves to God, and we trust Him and His provision, and we see His provision, as a Christian, it's really hard not to sing. Number two, don't be pessimistic by assuming something bad is about to happen. Instead, anticipate the next great faithful act of God in your life. Now, here's where, here's where some of you would react to that. Number two, in remembering hard times will keep coming. Like Some of us, we don't have to be convinced of that because we feel that way all the time. Like, bad things just always happen to me. Like, this week's coming up, surely bad things will happen. Like, it's, it's a pessimistic view where you're just assuming the worst always, and that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying, hey, go around being downtrodden people who just always expect bad things to happen. No, we're saying be the type of people that anticipate hard times will come, but couple that with being the type of people who anticipate God working in those hard times. Don't be the pessimist who's just always assuming that bad things are happening. Be the type of person who says, hey, hard times are going to happen this week. I can't wait to to see what God does in the midst of it. I can't wait to see how God comes through and provides in whatever hard time hits this week. Trials will come this week. That's a given, right? We don't leave uh, discouraged thinking like, man, it's just going to be a hard week because Adam says hard times always come. No, we leave saying, Hey, the God of the Old Testament who's been providing for his people for thousands and thousands of centuries, he is going to provide for me this week. I wonder how he's going to do it. I wonder how he's going to come through and provide. Don't be pessimistic. Assume and anticipate the next great faithful act of God in your life. And then number three, take your complaining seriously by taking measures to stop it and by confessing it as sin when you catch yourself doing it. I think complaining is one of those sins in the life of a believer that's just overly tolerated because we see it so consistently in others, right? So it's just kind of like, hey, this is just part of being human. Like you just complain, right? And and, and so we tolerate it. Oftentimes we'll excuse it, right? And just say, well, man, I just needed to get that out. Like I feel a whole lot better now that I just kind of dumped that on you and got that out. And so we just we make light of it as though it's not a big deal. And yet scripture tells us how big of a deal it is. Like when we complain, it's an attack against God's sovereignty and God's provision. We ought to take our complaining seriously. Like it ought to break us that we're still in a state of complaining, right? And we ought to take measures to stop it, right? If there are particular people that maybe encourage your complaining, I got to create some separation from those people. Right, if there are certain triggers or factors that you find that make it easier for you to complain, I mean, you got to create some separation there. Just like other sins that we would talk about that maybe harm us and hurt us and become a habit in our life, and we have to take measures to to separate from those type of things, you got to do the same thing with complaining as well. We also have to confess it as a sin when God triggers a a, a conviction later. Right, that we don't just look back at that and just say, "Ah, eh, it wasn't really a big deal." Like other people committed way bigger sins today. I don't know, like We see it as a sin and we confess it. We say, Lord, I'm sorry that I was, I was guilty of complaining today. I'm sorry that I was guilty of grumbling today. That was a lack of trust in you. It was a lack of trust in your provision, a lack of trust in the fact that when you bring me into situations that are tempting to complain about, it's an opportunity to trust you. It's an opportunity to grow in my faith towards you. Take those things seriously. These are things to remember These are things to do. Let me pray for us, Um, and then we've got a couple things to wrap up our service today. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for the things that we've been learning. Um, Lord, this has been a, a, a challenging time in our study because what we're admitting is that hard times are coming, but God, help us to see past that challenging statement and see the oasis that's provided on the other side of that. Just like you brought your people to a place where they were refreshed after experiencing bitter water. Lord, help us to see that you are bringing us regularly into situations that are hard and challenging so that we'll trust you so that you can provide as you've always been providing for your people. God, help us to see that. Help us to realize that. Help us not to forget that. Lord, I pray that you would weed out the complaining in our life. Lord, help us to trust you more and more. Lord, as we see you providing, Lord, I pray that a, that a song would swell up inside of us, that we would give you the acknowledgement for the provision that we've experienced. God, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, help us to be changed by the truths that we're seeing. Lord, help us to look back into the Old Testament and see, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph is the God that we serve today. And you spared your people from, from difficulties in times past. You brought them through it. God, help us to see that you'll do the same for us too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.savhope.org. Again, that's www.savhope.org.